struggle like I do to live consistently as a follower of Jesus? You see ups and downs in your Christian life? Maybe you can think about times in your life where uh, in the midst of struggles or hard circumstances, you can definitely look back and say, yes, there I was hoping and trusting and I fled directly to my God. But there's other times when you look back in your life, maybe even the, the day following the event that you thought of at first, where you're chasing after other saviors, where you're running to yourself in your fear and in your struggles. Uh, as we have been looking through uh, the book of, uh, of 1 Samuel, uh, we've seen uh, from David, uh, God's chosen king, great displays of trust and hope and reliance upon his God. Uh, but we've also seen some times where David has begun to struggle. And over the, this last chapter where we just finished up, we saw David demonstrate great hope and confidence in God's provision for him. A great high in his walk following his covenant God. But in this chapter, we're going to find exposed the deep inconsistency of David's faith, of his hope and his trust in the Lord. What does that mean for you and me when we see exposed that this chosen king that we've been reading about in 1 Samuel shows that he's not as sufficient as we might have thought? What king or champion or deliverer will come for him? For you, for me. So, if you would, please look with me in 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 27 this morning. Um, If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 249. We're actually going to look at the whole chapter of 27 today and go into the first two verses of chapter 28. So, if you would, please... Turn with me to your and your copy there of God's Word and follow along as we hear from our God. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. And David brought with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. 
Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites and the uh, Gerzites and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure, to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, Where have you made a raid today? David would say, Against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremelites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, So David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, He has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces of war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your true, inerrant word. We thank you for your grace to preserve uh, this record of your work, your provision. Uh, your instruction to your people. Uh, we pray this morning that you would uh, accomplish the purposes for which you included this passage of Scripture in your Word. God, me, God, all of us, that our, our hearts and our minds would be focused on Christ. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us, your people, this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, kids, if you want to follow along, keep track of some words this morning, let's listen for two. Um, listen for fear and listen for consequences. Fear and consequences. If you want to take jot uh, a table and you can let me know how many, how many you count. Um, back in 2009, I think it was, when Lindsay and I first moved from St. Louis to uh, Virginia, uh, that summer, we went up to D.C. with some friends for the National Fourth of July celebration. The, uh, it was hot. It was incredibly crowded. But the fireworks were incredible. Um, and, but something happened. As soon as the fireworks started going off, all of a sudden, like you'd see a dog running as fast as he could this way with the leash still attached to his collar taken off. A little bit later, more fireworks would go off, and you'd see another dog going off. The same thing. You see, these dogs were afraid. And in their fear, not knowing what to do, their thought was, I just need to get out of here. i got to get an end to this. And in their thinking, what made sense was, I'm going to run. But in running, not only are they running away from the fireworks, they're running away from their owners. And in their fear, they don't recognize and realize the great con uh, consequences that they may face and experience, the danger that they could be in running and fleeing away from those who are there to care and provide for them. What, what about you and me? When we're afraid, 
in our fear. We can't understand what's going on. Where do we run? Where do we turn? Maybe sometimes you would say, like David, we turn in our fears and we run to God. Have we not seen that response in David's life up to this point? Remember back in chapter 17, the entire army of Israel is afraid, but here comes David in the midst of this scary and fearful circumstance facing a nine-foot-tall fully trained and skilled warrior, and where does David turn? He turns in the midst of this fearful situation and hopes and rests in the strength and the power of his God. Later, when David is being chased by Saul and he has to flee and leave because of Saul's threats and Saul's plan to try to kill him, where's the first place David runs and he flees? He goes to the tabernacle. He goes to the priest. He goes to seek Abiathar that he might inquire of God to find out what God has for him. Later, uh, when uh, David is still on the run, and the question comes up of whether he should attack this, uh, the Philistines who are raiding the Israelites or not, David seeks and inquires of the Lord. His men come back and say, whoa, whoa, this is crazy, David. They're afraid. They're afraid that they're going to lose their lives. So what does David do? He inquires of God a second time to find out what would God have me do in the midst of this scary and fearful circumstance and situation. A little bit later in the same chapter, the question comes up about David is concerned whether this particular people group and tribe will betray him to Saul or not. And so what does David do? Again, he inquires of God, seeking God's wisdom, seeking God's direction in a fearful and and, and, uh, confusing time. What would God have him do? And in the, the past three chapters, what have we seen? But Although David at the beginning struggled to want to uh, symbolically make a grab for the kingdom and cutting off the corner of Saul's robe, in the midst of that, as he realized what he was doing, he turns to God, to God's faithfulness, to God's promises. Abigail points David back to God's faithfulness and God's promises. In the last chapter, we see David confronting and calling Saul to repentance as fearful and scary situation and circumstance, but he puts his hope and his trust in the Lord. But this chapter, the very heels of the one where David has shown such a great display of faith in the midst of fear, notice how it begins in verse 1. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. David, here, instead of of directing his heart and his mind, instead of fleeing and going to God in the midst of his fear, where does he go? A similar place you and I go many times. To ourself. 
David begins to trust and rely on his own wisdom, his own evaluation of the situation and circumstances, and he doesn't turn to his God. He's forgotten all that he knows. He's forgotten all these experienced. He's forgotten all that the faithful people around him have told him over and over of God's faithfulness, of his trustworthiness, of his goodness, of his care for David. But here, in the midst of his fear, David turns to himself. And his evaluation is, there's nothing good here for me. What about you and what about me? Are there situations in your life, maybe even right now, where you would recognize in the past, yeah, I've, I've looked and I've hoped and I've, I've run and trusted in God in the midst of these difficult and fearful circumstances, but right now you would recognize and, sh- and, te- and, and identify of your own heart, there's, cir- there's a circumstance and a situation that you're going through right now and it's so scary, you're so confused, you don't know what's going on, that you haven't fled to the Lord. The fear is overwhelming you. The anxiety and the pressure is filling your heart and your mind and instead you're, you're just dwelling on it in your heart. And over and over you're just turning to yourself and that's where you're going, over and over and over again. How long have you been there? How long have you been living a chapter 27 life? How long have you been dwelling in Ziklag, away from the presence of the Lord? Maybe you would say, uh, it was just the decision I made last night, but I'm recognizing and realizing it now, and so I'm going back and I'm seeking the Lord. For others of you, it may have been a day or so. But, you know, days can turn into weeks, can turn into months, can turn into years. Do you notice how long David continued to look to himself and dwelled apart from the Lord? Look over in verse 7. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months that he depended and rested on himself. Is that where you are? Running from the presence and the comfort of your God? See, there's a pattern, though, that sometimes happens, isn't it? We see it here in David, but we see it in our own hearts as well. It begins with just us turning in and turning to ourselves and not turning to God. But what happens when you turn to yourself? What is your anxiety a sign of? But that I don't have control. I must look somewhere else. And that's the pattern. When we turn in, instead of turning up to look at our God, many times our hearts and our actions force us outward and elsewhere looking for other saviors, other deliverers, other ways to escape in the midst of our fear. And we see David doing that here, don't we? When he turned inward, his evaluation of the circumstance was, there is nothing good here for me. Look at what he says. Now I shall perish 
one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. David's forgotten God's promises. David is only evaluating with his own eyes. And the very David, do you remember what he said last week? As his hope was in the heritage that he had among the people of God and in the land of God. He, He hoped and he put his confidence that he would dwell in the presence of his God and even spoke curses on those who would want to drive him away from his God. He spoke of the confidence that, he, that his life was precious in the sight of God. But now, as he has turned inward, his evaluation of the circumstance is there's nothing good here for me. Saul is going to kill me. It doesn't matter what God has said in the past. His fears are overwhelming him, and so he looks elsewhere. There's no good for me to dwell in the midst of, of God and His people. I've got to leave. My only hope is to flee and to run, and He turns to other deliverers. My only hope is in the Philistines. You hear David saying that? David. The writer of a multitude of psalms. David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear nothing. He sets a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. All that's out the door. Because in this situation, God's not enough. And I have to flee. I have to run. I have to find somewhere else to find deliverance because as long as I stay here in this circumstance, hoping and waiting on God to do something, there's nothing better for me than to go. Do you find that in your own heart? Thinking and doubting whether God is enough? Thinking that it is not best for you to stay in the midst of this difficult situation and find out whether God is indeed sufficient? Do you think I'll go and look elsewhere? But David might say, well, I know that's what you're saying, but it worked out okay for me. But, but David, don't you remember? Don't you remember when you, you fled out of the, the land before? The prophet Gad came to you in chapter 22 And he said, David, go back to Judah. I know Saul is persecuting and pursuing and seeking to kill you, but go back to Judah. Even though you're in Saul's realm, God will be with you. Or remember, consistently throughout Scripture, when God's people flee the land, it doesn't end up good for them. Yet David does that here, and he thinks that is where his hope lies. And on paper, it looks like it worked out well for him. Can't you hear David saying that? It worked. Don't you, didn't you see what my plan was? If I leave and go to the Philistines, Saul's going to stop fleeing or pursuing me. He's going to give up. And actually, that's, that is what, what happened in verse 4. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath. He no longer sought him. See, my plan worked. I'm seeking a, a, a safe place for myself, for my family. 
for my men. And I fled to the Philistines, and it happened a lot quicker than God was working. I took action and found salvation immediately. But, but also, it wasn't just that. Don't you realize that my fleeing and going into the Philistines provided a great opportunity for me to do great work for the Lord? I struck mighty blows against God's enemies. Do you see how that happened? In verse 8, now David and his men went up and made raids against the Gershurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land, far from of old, as far as sure, to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Akish. David could say, well, don't you remember what God called his people to do when he gave us the promised land? Was he enact God's judgment on those who had, were in rebellion against him? Don't you remember the command that God gave to Saul specifically against the Amalekites to devote them to destruction due to their rebellion against God? That's what I'm doing. I'm under the stealth, I got the, the Philistines duped. Don't you see the work that I'm doing on behalf of the kingdom? Really? Really, David? Is that really your motivation? Did God give you that command directly? Because don't you remember when Saul was given that command? He didn't follow through with it. He kept the animals for himself and the garments for himself. Your concern, David, really isn't the glory of the Lord. Let's point to your heart and actually what's motivating you. It's not the expansion of God's kingdom. It's, it's really just saving your skin. Notice in verse 10, when Akish said, Where have you made a raid? David would say, Against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jezmerites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, So David is done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. David can say with his mouth, I'm doing this for the glory of God. But if he's honest, and he looks at his heart, it reveals and exposes that the glory of God is far from his heart and his mind. He's pursuing other things. He's seeking salvation and deliverance elsewhere. What about you and me? Think about a situation. As a, as a, as a husband or a wife, a parent, you're struggling financially. A, a job offer comes to you and your thought is, this is exactly what I've been looking for. There's nothing good for me here in this town. There's nothing good for me here in this job. I need more money. I've gotten a job that's, uh, that's been offered. Sure, we're going to have to move far away, but I'm going to take it. You don't realize or even think about it until you get there that there are no churches that proclaim the good news of Christ. There's no community of believers that you can surround yourself with and be encouraged by to fulfill your calling and your purpose in the world. And you may say, oh, well, that's a perfect opportunity for me to be able to plant churches. Really? 
Has God called you to do that? Is that work already actively going on? Have you shown a pattern in your life of being able to do that type of work and reached out to others? Or is really what's going on is that that's just an excuse and a cover-up for the deeper heart issues of I'm hoping and trusting in money and the status of a job and I'm covering it up with these other things so that I don't have to look at my really what I am feeling and hoping in. Uh, maybe as you uh, are uh, a student considering going to uh, a college, remember, David, what he's done is he's left the fellowship of the people of God and he's fled elsewhere, away from where God has said his special presence is going to, to dwell. As you're considering your options and the opportunities you have for college coming up, are you only thinking about how a college will provide you with the best education or the ones that rank highest on employers' uh, lists of, of you getting the job and the vocation you want? Or are you considering, how will my moving to this area, what kind of churches are there? Is there connection and community among the people of God? Or is my thinking the only good thing I have is to leave this place and the only hope I have is to move somewhere where I'm outside of connection and fellowship and accountability? It's a scary place to be. See what's happened to to David? But as we see here, these expose our fears. It really exposes questions and doubts we have about our God. Do you doubt His goodness? Do you doubt His care for you? Do your actions really communicate, I don't think there's anything good for me here. It's better for me to try to save myself than trust in God in the midst of this situation. What has your God done for you? that you would doubt His goodness? Has He not given His Son for you? Did He not suffer and die for you? Has He not done everything He's ever promised and guaranteed to you through His death and His resurrection that His presence would be with you always? Why doubt Him? Why pursue to any other insufficient Savior? Do you not hear and remember the call of the Gospel? The call of your Savior, that He's sufficient. I'm with you. But we need to think through and consider it's in the midst of our fears as we're turning from God, looking to ourselves, and then turning outwards, there's consequences that go along with that. Consequences that we're not always considering when we're making the decisions and evaluating things based on our perspective. Do you, do you notice the consequences here? David's decision didn't just affect himself. Look, the consequences it has for those who are under David's care. Look in verse 2. So David arose and went over he and the 600 men who were with him to Achish the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, And David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. Here, David's decision 
is not just affecting himself, but now he's taking others outside of the presence, the care, the accountability, the fellowship of God's people. All of those who who are following him of these soldiers under whose oversight, uh, they're under David's oversight. His, His family, their families are all following him. David's decisions are potentially jeopardizing and compromising not just the spiritual life and vitality of these families, but physically. We're actually going to see later in chapter 30 this decision of David to go and to pursue salvation by the Philistines brings all of these families into great, great danger. But on the front end, when David's just considering and thinking about himself and not seeking the Lord's will, this is the furthest thing from his mind. David didn't bother to think, God, is this what you have for me? David didn't bother to look and see what the Scriptures would say, God's revealed will. Every single time in the past when we've looked, has God been resistant to give David instruction and wisdom when he saw it? No. Every single time. But here David says no. And he doesn't consider the implications and consequences. For you who might find yourself in this situation with a job. Sure, it it may provide more material provision for your family. You may give them the life you think they need. And you may do what you think is to consider providing for them. But how important is the spiritual provision and oversight you have to take them away from a place where they're cared for? Where they're taught and pointed to Jesus to somewhere where you don't know, will there be sustaining nourishment from the Word of God when we go there? Or to think about if you're, if you're single. To, to think about those who are, who are under your care. Uh, what are the implications in your life when instead of seeking God's wisdom and His direction and prayer and from His Word, that you, depend, you continue to trust and rely on yourself? It will affect your actions. How is it going to affect those who are under your oversight in your job or your peers or your neighbors of what they see in your life and how you direct and you lead them? How will that affect your potential desires to have a husband or a wife? Where are you going to find them? if not in a church? Or how will it affect your desires and your intentions to pursue and care and foster care or adoption if you aren't married? How are you going to provide and demonstrate that we are a part of the people of God? That is our heritage. If we aren't considering what God has for us and what He has promised us among His people and in fellowship with Him. There might be some of you thinking, maybe you're struggling with uh, infertility or childlessness. And your desire and your hope is to have some little ones of your own. And so you've thought of, of how to do that and have sought out, maybe investigated surrogacy or in vitro fertilization. And you would say on the outside that your, your, your heart and your desire is that to, to just uh, have those that the Lord says it's blessed. you're blessed when you have children. 
But you haven't considered the consequences of pursuing that line of finding children. Is that consistent with what the scriptures say? Is that what God's calling me to do? Lindsay and I know a family that did that very thing. In vitro fertilization. Only to find out later that uh, physically the wife wasn't going to be able to have as many of the babies that they had on ice waiting to implant. And so now they have nine children on frozen, wondering, what do I do? How do I care for them? The consequences they didn't consider at the beginning, the implications of their decisions. Was this a part of God's will? Would that have direct would He have directed them in seeking counsel from His Word? Now, what do I do about these little ones? You see, when we begin to look in ourselves and look to ourselves and don't in the midst of our fear and our confusion and, our, our, and the difficult situations that we're facing turn to the Lord, it has implication and consequences for all those whom the Lord has in our care. But also notice the implications that it has for the kingdom. Look in verses 28, or chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well. You shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. Maybe David thought that he could put up with this this ruse for a while. Maybe... He thought that uh, uh, the king of Gath isn't going to ask me to do anything that's going to compromise what the Lord has called me to do. But if he does, I'll deal with that. I'll cross that bridge when it gets there. But notice, here he is. Did David not think you are offering to go and be a mercenary for the enemy of God's people? Do you not think that at some point he may ask you to fight against those very people? But David didn't consider it. Because what was motivating David? Quick salvation. No confidence that if I wait and trust and hope in the Lord that He will provide. And now he is in a situation where the glory of the kingdom is at stake. The reputation of the God that he serves. The king of God's own choosing is about to go to battle and fight against God's people. What does that reflect about the office God has called you to, David? What does that reflect about your God who has called you to be a shepherd to His people? But David hasn't considered it. What about you? Some of you, as you head off to college, maybe one of the things that you're thinking about is that you'll, uh, you'll join a fraternity or a sorority. And you're thinking that might be a good way for you to... To, uh, to be a, a witness and to do ministry in the context of your college years. That may be true. Maybe God is calling you to that. But have you sought His wisdom and direction before you go? Have you sought the counsel of those around you to know, are you spiritually mature to endure under what will most likely happen in the context of those fraternities and sororities? The things that you may be asked to do? Are you, gonna, are you prepared to resist and stand strong for the Lord and be a faithful witness? Or there's a chance that you doing that will lead to you compromising on behalf of the kingdom. It's something to consider. Or to think about the the career that you're pursuing. You know the 
the way that business works in that industry. You know what's asked of the salesman. You know what's required when you go on these these trips and this, what is necessary in order to close the deal, the clubs you have to take people to, the, the, the services you must provide. And you say on the front end, oh, that'll never happen to me. I'll be able to resist. Will you? Are you going to seek the Lord's counsel on the front end or try to find out in the midst whether you and your own strength are able to endure and survive? Maybe it would be better on the front end to seek God's counsel and maybe His leading is don't go at all. Find another way to serve me. But like David, too many times we think we have it all figured out. We think God is acting too slow. We think that we're a better uh, um, deliverer and provider than our God is. But really all this is showing us is that David's an insufficient savior. He's an insufficient king. David has now gotten himself and the people he is to care for in a place where they need deliverance. He's compromised their best interest. He's jeopardizing them physically and spiritually. David is the king after God's own heart, but he also shows us he's not enough. We're going to need somebody better than David. And God in His grace and mercy sends just that one. One to deliver and redeem David. One to deliver and redeem you and me who in our fear fail to run to our good shepherd and like sheep run off cliffs. Jesus. The one God had promised enters into our world and what is consuming His mind? But the glory and honor of His God. Everything Jesus did, what did He do? But He depends and He rests on His God. In the midst of the most fearful and scary situation any human had ever faced, of going and being forsaken by His Father and His God on the cross, what does Jesus do? He seeks the will and the counsel of His Father. And He says, I want to do what you would have me to do. We have a good and gracious King. And because He consistently and perfectly follows our God, we have been delivered. Where else are we going to look? Where else can we hope? We have a sufficient Savior who rules and reigns now. Don't look to yourself. How many times has that really gone well for you? I'll tell you, it's gotten me in a mess. Time after time. Hear what our Savior is saying to us today. Don't turn there again. Turn to me. It may be hard where I call you. But it's better. It's better for you to be in the valley of the shadow of death where I am with you than for you to try to scheme and think in your own mind and your own heart how you can protect yourself as you flee and run from that. Stay with me. I'm your good master. I'm your good king. I've given my life for you. And I'm coming for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for your great words of mercy. We thank you for your perfect life on our behalf.
pray that you would help us to turn our hearts to rest and trust in you. In our fear, may the only place we run is to you. And may we do so quicker and quicker each time. In Christ's name, amen.